Hi, and welcome back to another Tech Talks HR podcast. Today, I'm joined by Fred Thompson, founder and CEO of First, an AI-driven learning platform. Hi, Fred. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Anthony. Thank you very much for having me. No worries at all. So, Fred, as someone who works in the world of learning technology, you're obviously interested in the learning engagement and the impact that learning can have. So, thinking about these modern methods of creating value, how have you seen the world of L&D and technology change over the years? Yeah, it's strange to think about all them years as we go back, really. I never feel quite as old as I probably actually am nowadays. But um, yeah, I've been in L&D space for about 20 years. And back when I started out, we were building e-learning in Authorware and Macromedia Flash before it turned into Adobe. Um, and it's strange to see. I think even in that time, they were the only real authoring tools available. And L&D platforms at that point in time tended to just track content and track score. And that was largely all it was. It was almost a means to an end. And now we're looking at where we are now. And I think it's just a, a very different space from the technology sector. Yeah, so so what do you see is is the latest bits that really are are exciting you, and uh, from a technology point of view that uh, maybe we don't see as users in the HR community. We just see some gash on the outside. What what are you seeing? Yeah, there's a lot of natural shifts I think through the sector, um, and it's things like just technology tends to support. So we're talking about things like mobile learning. We've seen more of that. That's sort of continuing to grow. I think there's some statistics on that which is something like 300 and oh, the 38 billion it is today i think and it's, it's going up to um, 102 billion by 2027 and that's mobile learning on its own so you're starting to see that facilitate a trend and, and a shift uh, in terms of um, how we present learning how technology can deliver that to to the learners and then even just you know everybody talks about ai it, it's part of everything we can't seem to ignore it nowadays um, and I'm, I've got a few opinions of how we can kind of use it correctly in, in the learning space. But I think we're starting to see that really kick into play in terms of adding personalization uh, to the space, you know, surfacing content. And that goes hand in hand with things like micro learning as well. So we're structuring the content differently, but also delivering it, surfacing it different to the user and also even on different devices in different environments as well. So it is quite a shift. And, and it's interesting you talk about AI. I think that's, uh, as you say, it's um, we're recording this right at the back end of 2023, and it's been one of those years with ChatGPT right, raising its head at the start of the year, uh, and, and AI being now almost seen as critical to be thinking about for everything that we do in our job. So thinking about the balance between leveraging advanced tech where is that balance between leveraging advanced tech and maintaining a human approach to learning? I think we've always got to be mindful of utilizing the technology for the benefits that it brings us in the L&D space. And I think, you know, we're an objectives-based business. We have to have outcomes at the end of that. And I think AI particularly is a, a nice topic and it sounds really like there's a fear of missing out and you want to put that in every space you can. But ultimately, we're driven by by results and mapping that back to stakeholders. So we have to have that balance. But I think every time we look at technology, you know, even outside of our space, I think it's it tends to always be driven by the need for humans generally to connect and to, to be social in this space. So, you know, drive that back to things like cars, you know, it allowed you to go experience new experiences and to still to, to meet people you couldn't currently meet. The internet, you know, its first initial use cases of the internet was things like GeoCities and AOL chat. It was facilitate that that side of human connection. 
So I think it's important in the L&D that we're always striking that balance of using the technologies where we can in order to save time, influence the, the outcomes. But actually, we've still got to always remember there's a, a human element to it and, and getting that balance right. I think you can start to utilize some nice tactics with that. I think we can look at things like social learning, ensuring that you know, you're learning off others in, in the space in, in your business as well, learning from your colleagues. I think it's key to still have blended learning in there, you know, to make sure there's the learning as an element of it, but actually you've still got that face-to-face instructor-led training as well. And, and how do you think um, hybrid workings um, kind of alters the, the world of learning? So obviously you're coming from a learning platform approach. Uh, you have one. Um, and and it's been, the, the world has shifted um, since the pandemic. And, and a lot more people are more remote a lot of the time. What have you seen in, in that world when it comes to this kind of balancing learning tech and the human aspect? Yeah, it's a really interesting one how COVID shifted um, things in the L&D space. It certainly accelerated what we were already seeing. Um, in terms of, we had uh, businesses who had learning platforms with us and they were utilizing it as part of their core offering. But then actually it was a case of when COVID shifted, they went from a you know, 90, 95% in-person, face-to-face, instructor-led business model to just a complete flip, reverse 95% was done online. And having that technology and that, ability to do that actually save their business you know it simply was a it wouldn't have been possible you know if you'd have rolled that back so maybe even just 10 years ago we wouldn't have been in a situation to do that i think equally though with covid and we're seeing this outside of lnd there's a need and a desire for people to want to get back into the real world a little bit more again and start to experience that more again human-centric kind of interactions so we're seeing you know that's there's some statistics on instructor-led training that's still you know, high percentage, I think it's like three quarters of people still prefer it for learning new skills. You know, it's quite a, it's a key part. And that social learning, even though it's a technologically driven, um, a facilitated kind of concept, as it were, the concept still falls back to relying upon learning from others, interacting, you know, discussing, sharing what you know, and, and sort of seeing that feedback. So I think COVID has accelerated what we're doing in that space. But equally, I think, if COVID had hit 10 years ago, I don't think we could have um, moved and shifted as quick as we have done now with the technology we now have in place. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how there was such an advancement in those couple of years. But the question is, was that advancement coming or um, was it basically it just happened to be the right time to have a pandemic? And although not that there's ever a right time to have a pandemic, obviously, um, but I, I look back to a uh, an article I wrote in about 2018 saying about what the 2020s world of HR was going to look like, where we were going to be by 2030. And it seemed to accelerate to 2021 when we, by the time we like went through the pandemic. So there's always a yes. when we're in a period of like stress as a, as a, as a society, we always seem to accelerate our technology, don't we? So maybe we couldn't do hybrid as well as we do without the technology. And, and as you say, it was just the right time. Yeah, well, we think back to that time, you know, we were all so familiar now with Zoom and Teams calls and things like that. But when it hit, you know, the majority of people who didn't work in sort of the tech sectors, et cetera, didn't really use these tools on a daily basis. They were, you know, certainly there wasn't the proficiency and, and, and that knowledge and that use case now that there is. Um, so like we said, if that would have been prior to that, we simply wouldn't have been able to do that. And it is odd to some degree. I think some parts of, a learning we've gone a little bit backwards on. I think 
you know, back in the day, again, I referenced this right at the start when we talked about Macromedia Flash. That was a very, very interactive time for e-learning and it was the, the engagement part of that was really high if you could build out a really nice sort of interactive Flash, flash um, element to your course. And a lot of training was delivered like that. Now, we are supplementing that now. Like I said, we're putting micro-learning in place, breaking that down, delivering it differently. But I still... I, I don't see as often or as regular as much interactive and, and as elegantly looking and, and user the high of your user experience as I did back in the sort of Macromedia and Adobe Flash days. So I think it's key that we need to remember that as we go forward as well. As much as the technology can assist us sort of expediently and streamline what we're doing, user engagement in our space is always the most critical element of it. I think we need to kind of retain that part. Interesting. It's just like everything. You can be a bit lazy. With it, so if you're thinking about online learning, you can just do something that's quite boring online. Just like um, you can always put way too many meetings into people's diaries because you don't want to be concise in one meeting. So I think there's an element of actually we need to always keep ourselves on our game, which is interesting because that kind of takes me to my next question. Thinking about the concept of return on investment and and measuring impact. I mean, this has always been the holy grail of L and D, as you well know. But what's your take on measuring the effectiveness in learning? And obviously, from your point of view, I'm, I'm sure you've been slightly more towards the technical side. Yeah, so I, again, historically, my frustration as we sort of dropped through the SCORM versions, as it were, we still only ever wanted to track the, the very basic sort of metrics here. We always seemingly went back to, you know, completion and did we pass or not? What was the mastery school, you know, except against the mastery? Um, and what time did it take? And they were the sort of the main metrics we, we reported back. And then at a learning platform level, we only ever reported, you know, oh, there's been 200 people who've logged in today, or that's a 75% increase in the amount of people who have logged in. But it, but it ultimately tying that back to meaningful statistics, metrics, things that we could actually say, actually, we've made a difference here was, was never quite there. I think as we've progressed, I think we, we're getting a little bit smarter with that. I think there's still room for improvement. I mean, we quite often as a basis now, we'll track things like, you know, the cost of training per employee, because you can start to track that KPI and make sure that it's actually, you know, relative to the investment you're making, whether you're seeing a, a difference. Um, things like time to competency, you know, with pre and post assessments, you're starting to track the growth and development of the learners throughout rather than just saying what well, did they pass it what score did they get it's more when did they start you know are we seeing progression again mapping that back to effectively you know we spend in the right areas are we seeing a difference here um but yeah there's quite a few different metrics i think we could do that we're probably not taking as much use of at this point is there anything you would sorry very close question is there anything that you would love to measure that you haven't found a way of doing it yet? I have a bit of a, a kind of a hopeful target dream of what we're building on our platform at the moment, but also want to see broader in the sector, is that we should always look to tie this back to the business at the end of the day. And ultimately, that's that's the bottom line. That's the profitability. And how do we map that back? And the metrics are normally a bit of a means to an end. You know, did you do this? Yes or no? I want to see it more of a discovery session where we can use it to inform business decisions outside of L&D. So yeah, I want to see where we can actually um, track this progression in our business towards a skill. Um, and are we delivering on that skill in terms of L&D? Are they delivering the, 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 you know, the required level of training to, to move people in that skill? But also we finding out about a skill 
we didn't really realize that part of our teams actually were either seeking or actually had the abilities within. And how can we then use that to actually even, you know, produce a part of our business to, to offer a product or service we didn't previously understand we could do? I mean, I, you know, a great example for me is if you're in the space of, I don't know, let's say um, optimizing databases, you're a consultancy who just does database optimizations, you might find out as a result of that, you've got that real speciality, but as a result, you've got a knowledge in cybersecurity you know, within your team because they're just kind of connected. And all of a sudden, your consultancy can start to say, yeah, we can optimize your database. But while we're there, we can look at the security of that database and we can expand that out. And you suddenly change the product line almost of your business as well, just based upon what you're seeing in your learning platform with the technology and the metrics. So that's my aim. It, it, it's a challenge because there's a lot of things to tie together there. But I think if we focus on that as a holistic kind of goal, I think we'll get some really interesting metrics from it. It's interesting, isn't it? It's um, without taking us too deep into the world of organisational psychology, it's uh, it's just like engagement surveys. If you have uh, radio buttons score one to five, and you ask questions, you you essentially um, using metrics to find out how engaged people are. Because you're crafting the questions yourself, you're only going to get the answers of known things, like what you're saying. So, if there's an unknown skill out there. That nobody knows you need or not. If you're only going to go for those simple quantitative metrics, you're only going to find out what you already know. It's, and that's why I asked the question because it's, it's to me the holy grail of, of L and D um, ROI is actually how do I seek out and find out what I don't know I don't know that if we acted upon it could become absolutely business critical to the success of the organisation. Yeah, I think there's a really interesting, I was talking to somebody in the L&D analytics space, and they were saying that when you often ask for feedback, uh, based upon, you know, course or a program that the learner has just taken, if you don't ask for that feedback within sort of the first 30 seconds, almost of their ending, uh, ending that um, engagement with that piece, they don't really recall what it is. Um, so then if you ask them sort of in two days time, and it comes up on their dashboard and say, hey, you recently did this, what do you think of it? you quite often get a very mix of, of high and low scores, but no real context between them because you people can't quite recall what they did and how they interacted with it. I think it's also interesting, though, that, again, L&D notoriously was compliance-driven, mandatory training. Here's your three-hour e-learning course. You know, go do that. You have to do it now and you're forced to do it. You paid to turn a, It was very boring, very dull. And now, again, the technology is allowing us to shift to um, tacit knowledge sharing with social, allowing you to sort of curate create your own content within these platforms. So as a result, and using technology like personalization as well to surface the right content to the right people, you're forming this set of metrics now based on things you're not controlling as closely. So you're not defining here are the things you can learn. It is a case of you can learn a lot wider and you're almost going to tell us what you want to learn and what you're progressing into. And from that, we're getting a lot more information that we didn't have previously. Right. I like that. I like that a lot. It's um and one other question while we're on the little little space here. Um thinking about because um learning platforms are absolutely great, transferring knowledge, transferring skill, transferring an ability to understand the topic. What do you do or what have you seen with the organisations you work with who managed to get that to, translated into trying it out, learning from experience as well on the job? So those people who would come and learn from a, a platform, but then go and try it out and actually 
learn from falling over and getting back up again and everything, but using the, the knowledge. Have you seen anything in any of your customers that you think that's good? I, I wish all my customers did that. How do you mean? How would you be learning and falling over it? What in what sort of context? Okay, oh, so so um, failing fast is probably a good a good way of doing it. I was thinking of a topic of falling over when I make that analogy. Um, so, <laughs> if you think if I learned a new skill, I don't know around how to how to do marketing better, I would learn all the technical stuff, all the names and everything, all the templates and everything. But the the supplementary learning then happens by practicing it on the job, by going out and translating it and. Sometimes I, I find that learning initiatives are we've got to get through this piece of e-learning, we've got to do this and everything, but it never manages to translate itself into real life and, and make that shifting culture that really creates that ROI. Have you seen anything out there that, that kind of where people have connected other activities into and above and around the learning technologies? Yeah, I think I think I've got some examples of it. From memory, I was thinking. And I'll, I'll kind of go off on a tangent first and come back. But I was I was on um, a board for an education company at one point, like an advisory board in terms of them putting together their um, uh, whatever you call it, the, the education for the, for the next few years going forward. And it was around the tech space because that's my speciality. And the items that they were already putting into the curriculum for the going years were actually already outdated as of the time we were talking about them and they weren't even going into place. So you're talking about the people coming through, the students as higher education students coming through, they're already now talking about, they're gonna be training them for things that are not relevant today. So it, it's very important to make sure you can fail fast, you know, you can sort of put this into place because, and that's where that shift has happened in terms of you're seeing a lot more bootcamp based training rather than that long style higher education piece. Um, and I think where we've seen it work in the corporate world really well, you know, we had an example of, um, a hospitality business who would basically allow them to, they would change their menu regularly in terms of what cocktails their, their bartenders might be making. Whereas instead of having to create a, a big course to train them up how to make them or whatever that was, because that changed so quick and seasonally, they could actually just post the recipes into the learning platform that would target the bartenders in the right way surfacing. And they could then be taught that immediately, you know, just prior to their shift or something in advance. But also because it's mobile driven, you can pick that up straight away and you can go back to that. You know where that resource was there. You know the recipe. If you need that information, you can obviously supplement that with videos and images, et cetera. So it's a different form of training than what you would notoriously sort of think about e-learning as being, but it's a great way of just allowing you to kind of get that information out there into the hands of people quickly and allowing them to use it, you know, in the flow of work. That's a great idea, isn't it? Because what that, that resonates with me is actually who's driving the learning because actually you could say well we need you to do this learning this year here's some content that you need to go through you'll need it at some point so actually what you're saying there the user had an immediate skills and knowledge gap they could turn to the mobile device learn it immediately try it out so therefore you've got that immediately trying it out failing fast or whatever hopefully i wasn't picking that up to if they were failing fast <laughs> but um but yeah, but but actually, it's it's learner just in time driven is probably where learning technologies kind of come into their own, where classroom training just literally can't do that. No, and it all kind of comes back down to you know the concept of continuous learning, which I think technology is facilitating. You know, we have things like like we said, mobile learning in there that we you know simply allowing you to have that possibility of learning on the train on the bus that you didn't have beforehand. 
Um, but I think people are shifting as well into this mindset that they want to continually, you know, personally progress and develop. Um, we all know the the constantly mentioned threat of AI and computers are going to take over the world. But there are some studies that sort of say, you know, that by 2025, they reckon the uh, split of work between humans and machines will be roughly equal. So there's an estimation that I think 50% of employees will need reskilling. So I think it's really critical that as part of the uh, methodology of the business and organizations is to implement that continuous learning aspect to it in order to continually upskill and reskill their staff members so to, to you know how much it's changing in this space now and that kind of links really nicely into the concept of lifelong learning doesn't it those people entering the workforce now have the realistic chance that they will be about 80 years old when they retire and they'll have 60 year careers so you can't hang your career on certain times where you have a big chunk of learning that will then take you for the next 10, 15 years because the world, because it's adapting so fast because of the, 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 the digital worker aspects uh, rather than bots or AI, call them digital workers, that, that is growing um, as a proportion. It's almost like the concept of lifelong learning is linked with very much learning just in time. The, the, the two, even though they're separate subjects, probably are going to work together. Is, is that your take on lifelong learning? Yeah, I think they're very much working together. I think people are realising, you know, they're probably seeing it in their roles more than they ever did before in terms of it. it and we talked about COVID before and how that differed, you know, the tools that you suddenly needed to know and use just, just switched overnight. And you're seeing that, that expediently change now compared to what it was previous. And again, there's uh, the studies that say, so the skills you have now, have got a, sort of like a, a length of time in terms of how relevant they are, and that's half. So I think it was um, previously 10 to 15 years. If you had a skill that would be relevant for, I think if you've got the skill now, it's sort of in and around five years. It's effectively half as valuable to you in five years. So you've got to look at that lifelong learning and progress forward. But when we talk, talk about it from L&D, I think it's really interesting as well that the L&D um, sector and the stakeholders and the C-suite behind that as well are driven by it as well because we're getting um, studies now that are based upon employees saying that they actually are really invested in businesses that can show an evidence that they are providing continuous learning opportunities as well. So it never really was on the agenda before. It was never really in the space of that was a key element of a driver of why you may join a company. But as people are getting a little bit more selective in that space, and it's becoming a little bit more employee driven. You know, it's becoming a key part of it. And um, the latest study that I read was 94% of employees would stay at a company longer if it invested in their career development. So not only have you got the way of actually attracting people in to start with, but then actually the whole retention element and the reduced cost uh, effectively that leads to as well, just by employing this in your org, I think makes it a really nice no-brain sort of shift, as it were. That's good, because that feeds into the psychological contract, doesn't it? That, that concept of actually the bond between the employer and the employee. And actually, as we become much more transient between employers in our careers and we don't see the fact, oh, we've, we've got to stay with the employer for six years before we move on and my CV will look rubbish. And there's that relationship between the employer and employee change. So, so therefore, I'll stick with you as long as I feel like I'm growing as a human being. At the moment, I feel like I'm plateauing off then actually it's more about me as my personal CV rather than actually something that was written on a three pieces of overall paper becomes more important. So so what you're saying is, is actually learning is becoming a more 
critical part of the psychological contract out there. That, I think it most certainly is. I think it, it's just interesting to see the shift for me. I just think, you know, back when I was being mandated training to me, I, it was something I really didn't want to do. You know, it was a case of you have to do this. It's a fire safety or health and safety course, and that's it. And do that, and you'd leave it to the very last minute to do it, and you'd sort of take that into, into consideration right at the last minute, fly through it as quick as you could, and that'd be done. And today, um, and I feel it from my position, it's a case of actually I'm waking up in the morning and just trying to check certain, even just news sites, because I want to read about what the latest developments are in my space, in my sector, and whatever it might be, in stock market, whatever. And I've got more interest in just continually pushing through and on. And you see that in the tech space as well. You see this in L&D. You see employees are not, you know, are wanting to push on more of their own as well so they're driving um interest in certain courses or visiting events or going and listen to certain instructional uh, speakers as it were so i think yeah it's certainly become part of the offering of a business um it's less a perk it's more of a must but i think it's um all the statistics are showing it's something that you can't really overlook and i think we've covered a lot of ground already today we, we've talked about the balance between tech and the human side of things. We looked at ROI, we've looked at lifelong learning. There's, there's obviously one big LMD question in the room, and you kind of half answered it a bit earlier, but I want to ask it to you anyway. And that's about how LMD connects into the wider organization and how you think um, LMD, what's the role of LMD looking and connecting into the strategic goals of an organization? Where, where do you think we need to go with our LMD functions there? Yeah, I touched on it a little bit earlier in terms of I think we just need to map that back to the business a little bit more. I think um, quite often it was historically overlooked. Like I said, we report figures back that weren't necessarily the driver. And unfortunately, as much as we don't like to admit it, not everybody cares about L&D or loves it as much as we do in this space, you know, and people in the business don't quite, you know, have the same desire and dreams for the figures we might produce. So we've got to ultimately map that back in a language that makes sense. So when we're talking about the C-suite, we need to appeal to them in terms of mapping that back to metrics that they can see a differentiator on. So, you know, if we're talking about um, a speed up of um, onboarding, for instance, and how productive an employee might be, if we can measure that and say, okay, well, you know, we can effectively, let, let's just take a really simple example of a salesperson and the speed to their first sale is typically whatever it might be, two months, and now it's actually been reduced down to one month. And we can map that change back to, an onboarding program we put in, you know, at the start of the year or whatever that might be, that makes it a really easy kind of conversation with the C-suite to say, well, this is what we did and this is what we saw. But also to the members of the C-suite, it is more appealing to say, well, that's actually driven more productivity, it's drawn, driven more sales, it's driven more growth, et cetera. So it's always trying to remember L&D's space is, of course, it's a it's a personal element to it. It is upskilling the people. But ultimately, a lot of the driver of putting that in place in organisations is going to always map back to ultimately the fundamentals of, of, of business. I think. So, so the messaging always has to come down to metrics, but there's the context that goes above it. Just like and I'll refer back to engagement to another metric in the world of HR, but actually the board always wants to know what percentage engagement you have, whether it's up or down on the previous years, but then actually the story and the context above that is actually the, the value over and above what you're actually producing. Yes, because what good's the statistic without the context, doesn't it? You know, it doesn't make much sense. So, you know, there's, there's 
you can map this back to many things. We could talk about um, the customer service team, for instance, and you could measure that with an NPS score on on your existing customers and say how happy they are. And if you start from a position of them being not so happy and then they, they move to very happy and that coincides with you putting a new program together to train the customer service team, you know, it's great to say, oh, 75% of people did that course. But ultimately, that's not as important as well, did it make a difference? Has it actually changed changed the you know the the rules as they were underneath? Um, I read uh, an insane statistic as well, which I can't quite get my head around how important this seems to be when we look at it from a holistic kind of point of view. But um, for organisations that invest one thousand five hundred dollars per employee in training, compared to those that invest one hundred and twenty five, so ten times, they see a twenty four percent higher profit margin in general across the board on average. And you can obviously map your figures and say, well, is that worth that spend, depending on what your profit margin is likely to be. But that kind of difference of just ramping up the amount of money that you spend, you know, has a direct impact on the profitability on average of businesses. I think it's a, there's over 200% higher revenue per employee as well. So when you start mapping all these metrics back and you start appealing to the C-suite with, we've seen this change the game in sales and support and underlying profit, and you can map that back to, you know, the higher macro uh, metrics as well, it really changes how we can report that and how important L&D becomes to that organisation. Well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's almost saying L&D professionals, L&D leaders need to be good at storytelling. They need to be good also at learning what's going on in their own profession, gathering stats like that, building that into the message and, and the strategy that they're doing so they can tell that story and say, well, actually, we've seen this, we've implemented this, and therefore, statistically, there's more of a chance that we're going to get return on investment on what we're investing anyway, because this research has been done elsewhere and has proven this. We're just trying to, to recreate that internally in our organisations. Yeah, we had a we had a brief chat before we came live around uh, marketing divisions, but I always think that if we could think more like marketing within our organization, no matter what sector you're in, it, it's the way you sort of sell and produce and tell that story. You can make every graph and chart look completely different depending on how you contextualize it. Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, these CEOs do want these changes. Then they they can see that. You know, again, when surveyed, they're sort of seeing they have an importance on new skills in the organization. But it's it is how we tell that story and how we sell that in. I think the point on this though is. This probably wasn't as easy or as possible to do again without the technologies now facilitating a lot of this. So, you know, we have learning platforms that will connect with business intelligence dashboards, which can sort of analyze the data, segment it, slice that up in completely different ways than was possible before. You're starting to see um, more content and more sort of interactions and engagement from that social learning element, which is mean the data set is wider to then draw metrics and conclusions from. And because you can utilize the technology a little bit more in terms of that, it's actually a lot faster. It probably may have not even been possible in some scenarios to build these metrics before. Now the technology is helping you build the metrics. So then the role just becomes more around mapping that back to the business and the storytelling around it rather than the, the, the logistics of actually doing it. I, I think it's fantastic. I think so. So what we're saying essentially is, is learning technology has, has accelerated the ability to to have just-in-time learning, but also is giving the data and the analytics you need to go and tell the story to enable you to, to do more of the, the just-in-time learning in your organisation. So L&D professionals, why aren't you doing more of this is the moral <laughs> of the story, I'm sure Fred is saying. But, um, but Fred, we've got to the end of our podcast really rapidly, as we always do on Tap Talks HR. 
Um, is there one thing you would like our listeners, be them in L&D or maybe outside of L&D in the HR profession, to be just reflecting on, thinking on or acting on um, around this topic that we've been talking about today? Yeah, I think we've always got to just, it kind of comes back to right at the start when we talked about, you know, L&D is a outcomes driven business, you know, we've got to map that back to to um, to results effectively end of the day. And there's a, you know, we can utilize technology, we can be scared of it, there can be a FOMO of it, you know, we talk about AI and everyone wants to put it in place, etc. But we've, in all these scenarios, you know, that we're talking about AI or personalization or metrics or whatever, we've got to remember that we're trying to um change the space in terms of we're progressing people we're upskilling we're reskilling we're delivering results etc and we've got to always map that back so my messaging on this is largely try to always cut through what is the noise around you know the new technologies and the coolest things that are out there to say that's great and i'm i'm going to watch it i'm going to be observant of it you know i'm going to make sure i i'm investigating it but actually what is it doing for me today? What results? How is it changing what we do? How is it improving? You know the the uh, the skills of the learners. How is that reporting back differently? How is it how is it changing the needle? So that would be my messaging: is try to avoid the FOMO, cut through the noise a little bit, and understand how it really affects L and D. Fantastic, great advice. Thanks, Fred, uh, and obviously thanks for your time today coming on. So you get a, a little bit of time to plug yourself. So where can people find out about you and first a little bit more? Yes, no problem. I tend to be around on LinkedIn a little bit and blogging and have my own personal site, fredthompson.co.uk as well. But um, yeah, today as founder and CEO of First, you can find out about our AI-driven learning platform. We're at first.io, which is T-H-I-R-S-T dot I-O. Fantastic. Thanks, Fred. Thanks for being here. And yeah, that's all we have time for today. For more information about learning and other cool HR topics, visit our website at tatsolutions.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, We'll be back soon on another Tap Talks HR podcast. But bye for now.